been a long time. <laughs> the month of missions. The month of missions, I guess Hobe preached and Stefan preached and Jake preached. And uh, it's been a month of Sundays since, uh, since I have preached. And uh, I want to be, so I got a whole lot stored up. Uh, and starting next Sunday, uh, I'll have another little break because Daniel and I will be trading off and uh, we'll be sharing this responsibility and uh, he and I got together and tried to sort through a little bit about the directions that we would have so we would be on the same path, okay? And uh, the thought came to our mind about questions what questions does God answer for us at Christmas? Many of us have questions about God and who He is and what He's like and how does He relate to us? How do we relate to Him? And, and, and so God answers a lot of those questions for us at Christmas and the incarnation and Him coming out of heaven and coming down here to this earth and showing up in the form of a real, live human being. So we could look at Him and we could say, that's the exact representation of God. And so God does not have to be a mystery to us. We don't have to go through life saying, what's He like, this man upstairs? We can know exactly who He is and what He's like. And we can see how relevant He is to life's questions. And, and, and the first question that I thought of as I thought about Bethlehem, that which kind of came to my mind as I reviewed this story that's so familiar to us in Matthew chapter 2, here's the point that came to my mind. Where do you go when life is out of control? Who do you turn to when life is out of control? I, I, I trust and I would imagine there's points in life where every single one of us have felt that life was out of control. And you don't have to look very far to see that it is. As a matter of fact, in Dickens' Tale of Two Cities, he makes this statement. He said, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the season of light and the season of darkness. It is the spring of hope, and it's the winter of despair. In many ways, that could be said of the environment in which the American church today exists. From a societal perspective, so much in America today, from a cultural perspective, so much is spiraling out of control. Sexual promiscuity and sexual perversion is spiraling out of control. The integrity of the family through brokenness of divorce and same-sex marriages is spiraling out of control. Racial tension and injustice is spiraling out of control. And certainly, the quest for domestic tranquility because of all the terrorism that we see in our country today and around the world is spiraling out of control. And that's just on the big picture. And we bring it into the individual and the personal life. And we see that people's lives 
are spiraling out of control because of, of stress and depression and addictions and debt and all of those things that we would look and we would see how life is spiraling out of control. Well, the question is, where do you go? To whom do you turn when life is out of control? Here's a statement that I want to ingrain in your mind, not just on a piece of paper, but to take home with you today. When life seems so out of control, can I really believe that there's a God? When you look at all this stuff that's going on, can you really believe that there is a God? And can you believe that He loves me and He's got a wonderful plan for my life? And can He pull it off? Can he really pull it off? With all the sin, with all of our weaknesses, with all of our failures, with all of our shortcomings, can the Almighty God really pull off his plan for my life and your life? And so, where do we go to answer that question? I'm going to take you to Bethlehem this morning because I believe that's in Bethlehem that God answers this question in the affirmative. In the affirmative. And so let's look at this familiar story with that questions in our mind as I read verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, because when the king is troubled, guess what? Everybody's troubled, okay? And so they were troubled and uh, gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people who began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet Micah, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means among the leaders of Judah. But out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time that the star appeared. And he sent them on to Bethlehem and he said, Go, make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report back to me and that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them, until it came and it stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house, and they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down, and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. <clears throat> Three questions. Three questions that God answers for us in the affirmative in Bethlehem. Here's the first question. First question is, can I really believe that God loves me and he has a wonderful plan for my life? Can I really believe that God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. I read that statement when I was a junior in college. A friend of mine that I knew in high school, and I saw him at, at, at college, 
he handed me a little book. It's called the Four Spiritual Law Booklet. And I was searching for meaning and purpose in life. And I went home that night, went to my dormitory, and I read that statement. The first statement in the Four Law Booklet. It says, God loves you, Daryl, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And I went on through that booklet, and it, and it offers a prayer where you surrender your life in humility to Christ. And I prayed that prayer. And that's been a few years ago. <laughs> it's been a long time ago. 46 years ago. And I'm here before you today to tell you that's a true statement. That's an accurate statement. And I can say categorically that is God's statement to you today. That God loves you and that God has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, how do you know that? How do you know that? Well, what, what, you, what we need to understand is really at the heart of that question is another question. The question is really the question that is God really good on his promises? Is God just a promise maker or is God really a promise keeper? Can I really count on God to make his promises? Because all through the scripture, from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God is, is making promises to humankind, Adam and Eve at first. They guess, well, there's going to be enmity between Satan and evil and human flesh. That ultimately God is going to bring someone in the human flesh through the seed of the woman, Mary. And that one is going to destroy the works of the devil. And that's the promise that he makes to us in Genesis chapter 3.15. And you can just trace it like a thread all through the scripture. Those are prophecies about Jesus. And God makes good on that. And we come to the apex of that in Bethlehem when God sends forth His Son. And so in Bethlehem we discover, we discover that in Jesus Christ, God fulfills all of His prophecies, His promises to us regarding His love and His plan for our life. The religious leaders knew intellectually, they knew in their head where the Messiah was supposed to come from. And so when Herod was trying to figure this out, he went to them and he said, what does the scriptures say? What do the prophets say of old that where he's supposed to be coming from? And they said, well, clearly Micah chapter 5 tells us that he's supposed to come out of Bethlehem. They knew that much. But they only quoted a couple of little verses from uh, a couple of little words out of Micah chapter 5. They just got the location. They didn't get the idea of what his identity was going to look like. What is this Messiah, the one that God is going to fulfill all of his promises in and fulfill his promise to us that, he's got, that he loves us and he's got a wonderful plan for our life? What's the identity of this one? Well, let's turn back and let's look at, at, at Micah chapter 5 and let's look at verses 2 through 5. And you'll see you'll see how they just lift out a few verses or a few words out of this total context that it focuses only on the location and not the identity. And so, verse 2, But as for you, Bethlehem, Micah says, you're too little among the clans of Judah, but from you one is going to come forth for me, God, to be a ruler in Israel. And his goings forth are from long ago. I guess so. 
How long ago was eternity? <laughs> a long, long time ago. He says, this guy is going to, this ruler that comes down, that's going to be the ruler in Israel, is from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child, and then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth, and this one will be our peace. This one will be our peace. And so, let's look at the identity of the one that's born in Bethlehem. This one through whom God is going to fulfill his plan and his purpose and express and demonstrate his love to us. Who is he? He's described at least, at least, if not more, but at least three ways in this passage. First of all, this one that God's going to fulfill all of this, God's plan for your life. He is the ruler. He is God's ruler. He's God's ruler. Where you have a ruler, there is the king. Who was really in control in all of this? Was King Herod in control or is there somebody else who's the ruler over the universe? And who else is it that God's going to send to this earth who really is the ruler on this earth? This is Jesus. He is the ruler. He is the king. And where you have a king, you have a kingdom. And when you have a kingdom, you have, you have the experience of what it's like to be in that kingdom. And what Jesus came as the king to set up his kingdom is to reign in the rule and the righteousness of God. And so, from what throne does this king reign from today? He came to reign and rule so that you might experience and express the righteousness of God and nowhere else than in your heart. He reigns and rules right here on the throne of your heart. And Jesus wants to reign and rule in your heart, in your life, here today. He is the ruler. He is God's ruler. And the question is, will we surrender and submit to his reign and rule to experience his righteousness in our life? He is the ruler. Not only is he the ruler, but he also says he is our good shepherd. He is our good shepherd. It says here that and he will arise and he will shepherd his flock. I love John chapter 10. John chapter 10, Jesus makes a claim. He makes several claims in the gospel of, of John. And these claims are the I am statements. I am the living water. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John chapter 10, he says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. And he goes on and he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Who is that? Who is it that's after you? Who is it that will lie to you the same way he lied to Adam and Eve and begins that enmity and strife that we see take place in Genesis chapter 3? Who is it? It's Satan. The thief, he's a thief. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. He wants to take that which is God's from you and he wants to take it for himself and destroy your life. And, and he says, but I have come, why? That you might have life and have it how? Say it with me. Abundantly. Abundantly. God loves you. And he has an abundant, wonderful plan for your life. And, and, and Jesus is saying, how do you get that? How do you get that? And, and, and Micah's seeing down through 700 years before Jesus was ever born in Bethlehem. 
Micah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, looks down the corridors of time, and he looks ahead, and he says, he says, there's going to be one born in Bethlehem, and he is the one who's going to be the shepherd. David, David knew the shepherd. David writes in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do you know the shepherd today? Have you come to Bethlehem, so to speak, to experience this God who's way up there, the omnipotent, almighty God? But do you know him not only as as the ruler of the universe, but the one who wants to reign and rule in your heart and to shepherd your life, your life? That's the one that will shepherd you, shepherd the sheep that want to go astray and get off the right path and be deceived. But he's the one who would shepherd your soul so that you and I might experience God's love and plan for our life. But not only is he the good shepherd, he tells us, well, I think I've got the scripture. John, did I, did I read that yet? John 10, 10. He says, the good shepherd's going to lay down his life for his sheep, for his sheep. And then finally, he's our peace. He's our peace. That's how he ends up this whole passage of scripture. Or this whole little section in in Isaiah chapter 5. He says, and this one will be our peace. Our shalom. That's the Hebrew word, shalom. And and it's just filled with all kinds of meaning. When you you talk to somebody, that's that's how Hebrew people today, the Israelis even today, when they greet people, when they're coming or going, okay? When you meet somebody, shalom. When you leave, Shalom, okay? And, and what it means is peace. Well, what does peace mean? You know, it, it's, it's that, the word shalom means that which is complete, that which is whole, that which is in order. Well, who is it that can give you that kind of peace? Who is it that can put order to that which is in turmoil? Well, the gospel writers had all kinds of stories to help us understand that. As a matter of fact, they all include the story about Jesus in the boat with, with, the, with the other disciples and, and the turbulence of the wind created the waves in the, in the Sea of Galilee and was about to sink the ship and, 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 and the disciples were, were, were fearful of the life because everything was out of order. And they cried out to the master, Jesus. And Jesus stood up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, hush. Be still, and the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. What is it in your life that under the authority of Jesus Christ, he needs to speak to that and rebuke that that was in your life so that your life might calm down and be at peace with God? That's what Jesus came for, so that you and I might know and experience God's love and plan for our life. In Mark chapter 5, he, he encounters a demoniac. A demoniac is a guy that is literally filled and possessed by evil spirits. And, he, and, and the picture that we have in, in, in Mark chapter 5 is, is a man who's literally destroying himself. He's cutting himself. And, 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 and nobody can contain him. And they chain him up. And they can't even uh, constrain him with chains. And, and he's just running wild. And, and, and he's just the end product of, of all the lives of society and, and, and Satan has destroyed his life and society's given up on him. And then he encounters Jesus. And after he encounters Jesus, under the authority of Jesus, Jesus casts out 
the evil spirits in his life, those things in his life that were robbing from him God's plan and purpose for his life. And here's what the Bible says. When the, when the people saw what Jesus did for him, it tells us in Mark 5, 15, and they came to Jesus and they observed the man who had been even possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. That's a guy that's experienced the peace of God. Jesus put things in order. What, what, what God wants us to understand about all this is that God's plan and God's purpose for our life, we experience God's love, it's all about a relationship. Say that with me. It's all about a relationship. Say that. It's all about a relationship. My, the, God's purpose for my life, and I can say categorically, authoritatively, God's plan and purpose for your life, every single one of us here, Irregardless of what vocation you're in, irregardless of whether you're, you're male or female, irregardless of where you've come from or where you're going, God's plan and purpose for your life is all about a relationship, and it's a relationship with who? Jesus Christ. And out of that relationship with Jesus Christ, you begin to experience God's plan and purpose for your life. And you see and you begin to experience and you begin to, to even feel God's love for you. And so, can I really believe that God loves me and has a wonderful plan for your life? Yes, you can. God brought it all to a head right there in Bethlehem. The second thing, can I really believe that He can help me find it? Can He really help me find it? I believe He can. You see, I, I, I believe you got to read these stories. These, this is not just about, we call them three wise men, okay? We'll just leave it at that. This is not just about some three wise men that God led to Jesus. This is a story how God wants to lead each one of you and me to Jesus, to discover God's plan and purpose in our life. And, and we can extract out of this story some, some universal truths, that apply not only 2,000 years ago to these guys, but they have, it applies to you. And, and God, God's been at work in your life the same way He was at work in their lives. Here's what we can count on. We look at this story, and, and I want to pull out a few things that you can count on about God leading you to experience His plan and purpose for your life. The first thing is this. God's love extends beyond our wildest dreams. God's love extends beyond our wildest dreams. I don't know what your dreams are. I'm talking about kingdom dreams, okay? I'm not talking about a dream house or a dream car, you know, or whatever the deal what that is. I'm talking about kingdom dreams. How God might use you and include you and His overall plan and purpose is not just for your life, but for everybody else's life as well that you come in contact with. Do you have any dreams? Do you think these, I'll call them three guys again, okay? How accurate that is, I, I really don't know. But anyway, we'll just call them these three wise men. Do you, do you think in their wildest dreams <laughs> that when they made that 576-mile journey 
from possibly Baghdad, somewhere in Iraq, to Jerusalem, that they thought that right here in the year 2015 in Roanoke, Virginia, in literally Christian churches around the world would, would, be, would be preaching and reading and being inspired by what God did with them? Do you, do you think they, in their wildest dreams they, they thought that? Of course not. And what we see here is that God, God extends beyond our wildest dreams. These guys living so far away in a, in a, in a pagan culture, not even the culture of religion, that had the benefit of all the stuff that Moses and the prophets had given to the people of Israel. But what we see is, is Matthew opens up his gospel by helping us see just how far God's, God's love extends out there for those who are so far away. So far away. You know, and the fact of the matter is, even though you're here, <laughs> some of you are not here, okay? And, and, and some of you have been here on a regular basis, but you've never been here. You're far away. You come to church, but you're far away from God. You've got Him out here. Don't get too... I, I don't want to be so far away that I'm left out of heaven, okay? There's some issues about that kind of theology, okay? Well, you know, keep you out here. I don't want to get so far away that I'm out of heaven, but boy, I'm not going to let you get close. I'm not going to embrace you. But what we see here, what we see here is God opens up this gospel message about the King of Kings and he says, I want you to see just how far my hand extends. And he just blows the mind of a King Herod and he blows the mind of the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees as he reaches out and he gets these guys to come and bow down before the King of Kings. You see, God's love extends even beyond our wildest dreams. Here's principle number two. Principle number two. If we are humble enough to be honest, the evidence of the King of Kings is everywhere. It's everywhere. These guys are called the Magi. And, and the Magi were noted, the Magi were noted back in those days as being a part of the intelligentsia, the elite, the academic elite. This was academia. These are, these are the PhDs in our college university systems. And one of them represents, well, they all represent those that, that are, that are uh, uh, knowledgeable and, and trained in the area of astronomy and medicine and natural science. And yet these guys travel over 500 miles to come down, not just to get on their little knee, but to literally fall on their face before a baby. One of the things that goes along with academia, a lot of things that go along with those who have their PhDs, is arrogance. Is arrogance. They think they know more than everybody else. There's even some that think they know more than God. They, don't, they, they look at the stars. They look at the sun. They look at all that God has done in creation. They look at natural science. They can actually go to the point of looking at medicine and seeing how God has, 
has so created this human body and even the intricacies of the human cell and even the structure of the DNA. And look at that. And say, and say it just happened. It just happened. And they would deny even, even the thought of intelligent design, much less that there's a God. And to see, to see in this passage of Scripture who it is that God has reached out and grabbed and brought in. These are truly wise men. Wise is the microbiologist that looks at the structure of the DNA and says, God is the one who did that. And wise is the astrologer that looks at the stars and and the orientation of the earth to the sun and the gravity and all of those factors as a part of, 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 of our universe and says, God is the one who did that. Wise is He who is humble enough to say that there is one that is greater than He. If we're humble enough to be honest, the evidence of the King of Kings is everywhere. If I could spend, if I could spend 15 minutes with you and just sit down and talk to you about your life, can you see the evidence of the King of Kings drawing you to the Savior? Can, can you see circumstances and events, even tragedies in your life, good things in your life, people that God's put in your life, can you see the evidence that God is wanting to bring you to the King of Kings? Are we willing to humble ourselves and be honest before God as to who He is? Here's another principle. If I seek Him with all my heart, I will find Him. If you seek Him with all your heart, you'll find Him. I love Jeremiah. As Jeremiah wrote this in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 3. Jeremiah was writing to an obstinate people, to a sinful people, to people who had committed spiritual adultery, worshiping other idols. And here's what he says to the people, a message from God. I know the plans that I have for you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come, pray to me, and I'll listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. What a great promise. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God, but God is, God, that is a word from God to you this morning. This gives you an idea of the plans that God has for you if you'll come to Him and search for Him with all your heart. You will find Him. And then finally, another little point that I see in this about whether I, I can believe that God can really help me find it. Those who appear to be farthest away are in reality closest to the kingdom. Those who seem to be farthest away are in reality closest to the kingdom. Jesus Jesus put it a different way than that. He said the first will be last and the last will be first. In other words, have you ever been in line? You ever been in line somewhere and, and you've been waiting You've been waiting, well, maybe not patiently, but you've been waiting, okay? You've been, and, 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 you, and all in your mind, you're saying, 
I've been here for so long, I deserve to be next. All right? I deserve to be served next. And then something happens, okay? Something happens, and the guy that's at the back of the line is served before you. I don't know about you, but man, that gets all over me. Uh, man, I, I, went, I was here first. What are you doing? I deserve to be first. Folks, you and I, we got to be careful. You and I, because we're here on a regular basis, most of you guys I, I see every week. If we're not careful, we're going to feel like we're at the front of the line. We're at the front of the line, and, and we deserve it. And God's saying to you, you got that attitude? We have that attitude, Daryl? You have an attitude that you feel like you deserve it because you've been preaching all these years. You feel like you deserve it because you've been following me all these years. You feel like you deserve it? <laughs> to the end of the line, you go. Okay? You'll not even make it in with that attitude. Those who appear to be farthest away, who even feel that they're farthest away, are closest to the kingdom. There are those of you here today that say, man... <laughs> My background, the stuff that I've done, the mistakes that I've made, the stuff that I've gotten into. I wasn't raised in a Christian family. I don't know anything about the Bible. I'm ignorant when it comes down to all this stuff. There's no way. There's no way God would include me. I want to tell you something. You have that attitude? You're closer than you think. You're closer than, than the guy that thinks he deserves it. Watch out. Watch out. Those of you that, 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 are, that never think that God would use you, watch out. He'll put his hand on you. He'll bring you into the kingdom. And who knows, 2,000 years from now, they'll be writing about you, about how you came to the Lord and how you worshiped him. And so, can I really believe it? He can help me find him? <laughs> yes, you can. And then finally, finally, the third thing. Can I really believe? I love this one. You really believe he can pull it off? I'm not talking about pulling it off in Bethlehem. We're going to use Bethlehem as an example. Because I guarantee you, if he could pull it off in Bethlehem, he can pull it off for you. He can pull it off for you. In Bethlehem, look what God pulled off to get Jesus born in Bethlehem. He, he, had, he had a woman that had never had sex. She was a virgin, engaged to a man. And they were sexually pure. And yet God miraculously through His Holy Spirit, impregnated her. Okay? That's pretty big. Okay? Pretty big. But here's another big thing. And I can identify, I guess, a little bit more with this one. Joseph. Joseph didn't kick her out. Joseph didn't break off the relationship. And, and think of all the, the shame that he had to deal with. Hey, Joseph, what's your, what's your, what's your wife Mary doing pregnant? I thought y'all hadn't been married. I didn't think y'all, yeah, y'all hadn't had sex yet. Yeah, okay, tell me about it. Yeah. Think, think about, think about, 
Think about Joseph's mother and father. Joseph, you're crazy. Get her out of here. She's a disgrace to our family. And yet God, God had just the right man that would buy into that. That's big enough right there, but we're not going to stop there. We're going to find out that this guy Joseph, who was so understanding and so in tune with God's plan and purpose, that he was willing to accept that by trust and faith, but also this guy Joseph is of the lineage. You trace the family tree all the way back to David. And in the Old Testament, the prophecies are that this one who'd be born, through whom God is going to get, fulfill God's love and plan in your life and my life, it's going to come through the lineage of David. And God pulled that off. And it gets even bigger. And then he gets this eight, nine-month pregnant woman to make a 75-mile trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And there were no cars. Rode a donkey, you know, I don't know. Ladies, what would a donkey ride be like? I guess you would have birth when you got to Bethlehem after doing that. But, uh, you know, can you, can you see Joseph? Well, well, honey, let's go to Bethlehem. <laughs> let's go to Bethlehem and have this baby. You are crazy. We're going to do that right here. No. God used, God used a pagan emperor named Caesar Augustus to, decare, to decree a census to be taken. And guess what? They had no choice. They had no choice. And so they make the journey. And then, of all the places, the, the, the most tyrant of all the, all the kings, the, 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 the most horrendous one known for all of his atrocities, who is it? It's King Herod. It's King Herod, when he learns that there's another king, he gets jealous. And he says, guess what? Wait, just by the way, when, when did you see that star? Well, it was such and such a time. And so, okay, figures two years. And so these guys, they go in, they get out of town, kill all the babies. Kill every baby that, that, that's just been born up to two years old. Kill them all. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of king. That's the kind of guy that was in control of Bethlehem when this Jesus, the king of kings, was born. An infant, innocent, helpless little baby. And yet, he got out of town safely and securely. How did that happen? I'll tell you what, guys. The fingerprints of God are all over this story. The fingerprints of God, the fingerprints of a loving, sovereign God are all over this thing. And I'm here to tell you, if, 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 if you can take a look at your life, I want to tell you, the fingerprints of God are all over your life. All over your life. Bringing you to Jesus. Shepherding you. Helping you. Strengthening you. To experience what? God's love and plan for your life. If God is sovereignly engaged enough in human history and the circumstances of life so as to have Jesus born in Bethlehem, guess what? He can bring peace and order 
into a life that's out of control. Is there an area of your life, is there an area of your life that's just, it's crushing you. Is there an area of your life that's just completely defeated? Is there a sin? Is there a a habitual slip-up? Is there something in your life that's just got you down and, and, and it's got, things are just out of control? And it may not just be one thing. It may just be the multitude of things. I'm here to tell you, if God could pull it off in Bethlehem, God can pull it off for you. The loving, sovereign God fulfills all of His promises and plan for your life in Jesus Christ. Bethlehem is that place where you go And you bow down before Jesus, offering Him nothing less than your life to Him for His reign and His rule and His righteousness. It's the place that you come to in your life where you give to Him that which you treasure most, and it's the place where you come to give Him your mess as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Oh God, I pray that the one that feels farthest away, the one that feels like they've made the biggest mess, the one that feels that life is so so out of control that they don't know where to turn. God, I pray right now in the holiness of this moment that they find hope in Jesus and they turn to Him, and they bow down before Him. And right now, right here today, throughout this congregation, there are those that will pray and say, Lord Jesus, I need You. And I open the door of my heart to receive You as Savior and Lord. Thank You for dying on the cross for all of my mess-ups. Thank You for dying on the cross to forgive me of all my sin. Thank you for coming into this world that I might know your love and your plan and your purpose and your peace for my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song of response. And as we sing that song of response, I want to give you that invitation. Don't let this Sunday go by, another day go by that you would experience that chaos and that life that's out of order. Come, give your life to Christ. Unite with a church. Unite with a church and a fellowship of believers that can encourage and support and guide you in this, through this journey of life. Let's stand and let's sing together.